The Bible reading from today is from Luke 15, starting at verses 1 and 2, and then we'll go to verses 11 to 32. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then to verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. Good morning again. Um, Yeah, I might start by praying and then we'll get into it. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Uh, Lord, I ask that this morning as we open your word and we remember this 
um, memorable and poignant story that Jesus told help us to see it fresh and to hold its truth dearly in our hearts. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember these things, but can I get that picture up on the screen? I don't, do you remember that thing? Uh, we used to call that a phone. Uh, now it's become known as a dumb phone. Uh, because because one, of, one of these things is called a smartphone, right? So one of those things has to be a dumb phone. Uh, that, that's the terminology that people use these days to talk about these things. And actually, it might surprise you to know that dumb phones are becoming popular again. Uh, people, people have had this, and um, I actually noticed this week, one, one of the members of the Summer Life team had a, a dumb phone. It wasn't exactly that one. It was, a, it was a modern version of that phone, but basically it was a button. Sorry, it was a phone with the 12 buttons, and, and there's no screen, and, and, and you can't really play games or go on the internet on it. Uh, and yeah, it, they're actually coming quite popular in 2019. The dumb phone is, is back. Um, and you might wonder, like, why, why are people doing that? Well, it's because people have realized that um, although there are, there are many benefits to having a smartphone, you know, you've got maps on your phone, uh, you have constant access to the internet, um, you, you can take photos whenever you want without having to log a camera around and things like that, people have noticed that there's actually a lot of complications that come with a smartphone as well. You know, people have internet addiction or gaming addiction or social media addiction. Um, people are constantly being plugged in. That, you know, you're always contactable. You're always distractible. And so that's why the dumb phone is becoming popular again. People have decided that it's good to go back to basics. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to go back to basics. We're looking at this story, which I'm sure for many of us is very, very familiar. Um, and we're doing that because... We want to go back to basics. And I don't know about you, but personally, I actually find it very, very helpful to go back to basics. Because personally, sometimes, uh, sometimes I need the basics because I'm always so cluttered up with the complex. Uh, you know, things get, things get busy, things get complicated, things get a little bit gray. Sometimes I need to be remembered of what the basics are. So this morning we're going to go back to basics, and that's why we're looking at this story, and we're looking at the story of the prodigal son, which is an incredible story of the love of a father for a wayward people. Um, keep the Bible open in front of you, you're going to need that. You would have noticed that we, we didn't just jump into the story um, from verse 11, we actually started with the context at the start of the chapter. So I want, I want to point that out to you again because I think the context is very important for this story. Story. Have a look at verse 1 and 2. Jesus says, Now the tax collectors and sinners, sorry, Luke says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. So Jesus is talking to two kinds of people. He has, firstly, the tax collectors and the sinners, and then he also has the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in the audience. And to these two groups of people, Jesus tells a story about a man who has two sons. And I want to get kind of three ideas out of this story. Firstly, we're going back to basics. So Jesus wants to clarify who the sinner is. That's the first thing. Secondly, he wants to describe what the father is like. And then finally, he's going to give them a criticism of religion. 
Okay, clarify the sinner, what the father is really like, and he's going to critique religion. So let's start with clarifying the sinner. Like I said, you guys will be very familiar with the story, but the, the, the youngest son is probably the most memorable character in the story. And we know him as the rebellious son. He's the sinner in the story. And we, we, we think of his greatest act of rebellion, as, as Kieran mentioned before, his greatest act of rebellion was that moment where he took the money that he was given by his father and he ran off to a distant country and he spent it on uh, wild living, which, as Kieran said, is basically the Bible's way of saying he spent it on stupid stuff. <laughs> um, and, that, and, and we think that that's the defining moment of sinfulness in this man's life because that's, the, that's our definition of sin, to go and do bad things. Um, so like somebody who sins, or sorry, somebody sins is somebody who maybe steals or they murder or they rob people. Um, when I teach scripture at Arabian Sports High, uh, I, 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 we always have a lesson in the, in the curriculum where it goes, what, what do you think sin is? And they're the exact things that kids say. It's when you steal, it's when you rob, it's when you murder, it's when you do bad things. And so we think that the, the, the moment that this young son does a bad thing, the moment that he becomes a sinner is the moment that he goes and lives wildly. But I actually don't think that's the point that Jesus is making. I think that the rebellion in this story happens before that. The rebellion in this story is not the moment that he runs off and lives wildly. It's actually the moment he approaches his father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. Because as Karen pointed out to us before, when you go to somebody, when when are you meant to inherit from somebody? Yeah, when they die. So essentially what this son is saying to his father is, I would actually rather have your stuff than have you. I don't want anything to do with you, Dad. I just want the money that you owe me. He's saying to his father, I want what you have, and I don't want you. And I think that is Jesus' better, better definition of sin. That is what Jesus is saying, is a better definition of sin. It's not so much when you go off and do bad things, but it's when you say to some, you say the Creator that I want your stuff, and I don't want you. When you think about, um, you know, most of us would have had a holiday break over the last couple of weeks, um, Christmas, Boxing Day, New Year's, lots of time with friends, lots of time with family, time in the sun until yesterday when it kind of became miserable, Um, but it's still kind of pleasant to have some rain. Uh, You think about all those things. I think Aussies are actually really great at enjoying the gifts of the Father, without paying much respect to the Father. We're great at enjoying what the Creator has given us without really acknowledging that the Creator is even there. And I think this time of year is a great time to remember it. I think about the last couple of weeks that I have, that I've had. I went camping for a couple of days up near Swansea. It was beautiful. Surrounded by green trees. The beach was just there. The beach was awesome. The sunsets were beautiful. Um, we were still eating leftovers from Christmas. <laughs> and because it tastes delicious, you know, the, the Christmas food is fantastic. Surrounded by friends, surrounded by family, having a really, really great time. Australians do that, and we're really great at it. But enjoying the creation without acknowledging the Creator is what Jesus is saying in this parable is the root of all sin. A real definition of sin is not just doing bad things, it's actually disregarding the Creator of all things. So don't believe the moral, uh, sorry, don't believe the lie that a moral person isn't a sinner. 
Don't believe the lie that a good person isn't also sinful. Jesus clarifies that the sinner is someone who doesn't acknowledge God, but rather someone who is rather than someone who always lives wildly. That's Jesus' clarification of what a sinner is with this parable. And then the parable goes on. So he clarifies the sinner, but then he goes on to describe what God is like. Now, it's interesting when you think about the original audience of the parable. Um, Jesus is telling this, like I said before, to two groups of people. There are the tax collectors and the sinners, and then there are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And they're all there listening to Jesus tell this story. And as, the, as Jesus is telling this story, the tax collectors and the sinner would hear about the younger brother, and they would know that he represents them. The younger brother is representative of the tax collectors and sinners. And then it says that this younger brother comes to his senses, and he realizes that he's starving to death, and, every, and all, even the servants in his father's house have more than enough food to eat. And so he comes to his senses, and he decides that he's going to go back to his father's house. Uh, and when he heads back, he, he starts rehearsing this speech. He starts, talk, he starts rehearsing what he's going to say to his father. Father, I have sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, just make me one of your hired servants. And so the tax collectors of sinners are listening to this story and they realize that this, this younger brother has decided that he's going to go back to the father. And the tax collectors and sinners are hanging on every word that Jesus says. Because they're thinking to themselves, I wonder how the Father will react. I wonder how the Father is going to respond to this wayward son who's coming back. And so they're hanging on every word. But also the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are hanging on every word too. Because they get to this point in the story, and the son, and they're thinking, the son is foolish enough to go back to the Father. All right, here we go. Now he's going to get what's coming. And so the Pharisees are hanging on every word as well. And the father's response is probably what neither of those groups of people was expecting. Have a look at what the father does. From verse 20. So the son gets up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. And he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. Now what you might be expecting for it to say is that while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming and was filled with anger, (laughs) resentment, bitterness, fury, hatred for his wayward son. But that is not what the story tells us. The father is filled with compassion. It almost seems like it doesn't fit. It seems like it's the opposite reaction to what should happen. And the thing is that the son hasn't even said anything yet. The son has just walked back toward the house. The father sees him coming and he bolts out to him, wraps his arms around him and kisses him. He's filled with compassion for him. When the son does get a chance to to give him the rehearsed speech that he's been practicing, the father doesn't even let him finish. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, Verse 21 The son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Remember, there's one more line that he still hasn't said yet. Please make me like one of your hired servants. The father doesn't even let him get to that line. Because the father says to his servant who's nearby, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Go and get a ring and put it on his finger. Go and get new sandals and put them on his feet. Go and kill the fattened calf because we must celebrate. 
He doesn't even get a chance to finish his rehearsed speech because the father just wants to lavish more and more love on this wayward son who has come back. He asks the servant to bring the best robe and to go and kill the fattened calf so they can celebrate. This is what God looks like in the mind of Jesus. This is, this is completely astonishing. This is what God looks like in the mind of Jesus. He is a running, loving, embracing, forgiving, celebrating Father. That's the picture of God that Jesus has in his mind. And if anyone has a good picture of God in his mind, it's, it's Jesus. A.W. Tozer, a famous writer from the 20th century, he said that the most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think of God. The most important thing about a person is what comes into their mind when they think of God. And the truth is that we all have a picture of God in our mind. Like Kieran said, it's not so much about the image that you see, but more about the attributes and the characteristics of that person. Even, even the people who, ha, who say that they have rejected God, uh, who may be atheists or agnostics or something like that, they had to reject a certain picture of God, right? They had to have some picture or notion of God that they said, I don't believe in that. So my question is, where do you get your picture of God from? Where are you shaping your understanding of who God is? Where does that come from? Now, I think for many of us, our picture of God comes from our imagination a little bit comes from our experience a little bit. And hopefully for those of us who are churchgoers, it, it comes from the Bible as well. But in my experience, it, sometimes the Bible is, is kind of overweighed by our experience or even our imagination. And so our picture of God is shaped mostly by what's going on up here. It's, going on, it's being shaped by the picture that we have, the, sorry, the experiences that we have in our lives. But in this story, Jesus wants to give us a new picture of God. Jesus wants you to see God as a running, embracing, forgiving, loving Father. A celebrating Father. That's what Jesus is saying God should be like in your mind. So I'll ask you, what what is the picture of God that you have? What is it? Where did you get it from? Because if it's not a loving Father, then your picture of God is skewed from Jesus' picture of God. So that's the second thing Jesus says. Jesus wants to clarify what God is really like. And then the third thing that Jesus wants to say in this story is that he wants to critique religion. Now some of you, maybe you're here in church for the first time and you kind of are confused by this because you think Christianity is religion and Jesus is a religious teacher. And here is Jesus critiquing religion. Well, hopefully this makes a bit of sense to you when you look at it a bit closer. Um, the, the older brother in this parable is often overlooked. Uh, I remember giving... a some talks on this parable a couple of years ago um, at youth camp. And a, a girl came up to me, a teenage girl, and she, she'd grown up in church, and she didn't even know that there was an older brother. She, that she'd never heard that part of the story. It had already, always finished with, and they threw a party and everyone celebrated. They never got to the, meanwhile, the older brother was out in the field. Um, but remember that this story is told for two audiences. The tax collectors and the sinners on one hand, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law on the other. And so Jesus tells a story about two sons. So what is Jesus' critique of religion? 
Let's have a look at the story and see. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was out in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him, what is going on? Your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has been, because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out to him and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father. He said, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your, your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. Here's Jesus' criti- criticism of religion. He's got two things to say. Firstly, Jesus says that religion makes people act toward God like a slave acts toward their master rather than the way that a son acts toward their father. Remember, this, the, the, the older brother, he says, all of these years I have been slaving for you. There's no sense of joy in that. There's no sense of, you're my dad and I'm delighted to do your work for you. He says, I've been slaving for you. What's really ironic about this story is that the younger brother was willing to come and be a slave and the father made him a son. The older brother has been there the whole time and he feels like he is a slave. So firstly, Jesus says that religion makes people act toward God the way that a slave acts toward a master rather than the way that a son acts toward a father. Because that's what religion does to us. It's going to lock us up in this rules-based mentality where God is the master and you are the slave. But that is not the picture that Jesus gives us in this parable. Because Jesus sees religion as subservient to relationship. God is a father before he is a master. But the, the older brother also has a very messed up sense of God's his generosity toward him. Have a look at verse 29 again. He answered the father, Look, all of these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you've never given me even a young goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. He says, You've given me nothing, God. I've got nothing out of you, or nothing, Father. He hasn't even got a young goat. But that's just from his perspective. Because later in the story, the father says to him, My son, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. So this son's got the wrong idea. The father says, everything that I have is yours. And this younger son says, you've never even given me anything. So all of this stuff belonged to the, fa- to the son in the first place. The robe, the calf, the ring, the sandals, all of it belonged to the son. He just couldn't see it. Because he sees God as a sting. He sees God as somebody who holds out, somebody who holds back. From his perspective, it's God, God is withholding from him. Even though the reality is that God is blessing him generously. Again, that is what religion will do to you. It'll make God seem mean. It makes you feel like a slave and God is this mean overlord. Now, what's interesting about this story is that, in a way, the older son is just as far away from the father as the younger son was. Yeah, yeah I get it. Like this, the older son stays on the property, but in, in, in his heart, he's a million miles away. I think there's something really... Um, 
poignant for us church-going people in the older brother. Because I think we sometimes might feel the way that he feels. I think churchgoers, like the older brother, have a tendency maybe to think of God as holding out on us. Maybe you think that he's, holding, he's withholding the pleasures um, when he tells us to abstain from certain things or when he tells us to, to give generously of our time or of our money or of our energy. So we can often think that God is withholding from us. But I think that we can also unhelpfully think of God as a master who we joylessly obey rather than thinking him who, as a father who we delight to serve. Those are the sorts of things that characterize religion rather than relationship. So I, I think we have a lot to learn from the older brother. But you know what's amazing in this story is that the father's response to both sons is exactly the same. He goes out to them. When the younger brother comes back along the road, the father bolts out to him to embrace him. When the older brother stays out in the field and refuses to go into the party, the father comes out to him to plead with him. The father goes to both those groups of people in the same way. The father approaches the tax collector and the sinner and says, please, come back. But he also approaches the religious Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says, please, come in. Come and join the party. Even even Jesus' critique of religion is wrapped in love. It's wrapped in kindness. And so like I said at the start, today I want to go back to basics. I want us to see that because of the way that we have treated creation, the way that we've treated God's gifts rather than acknowledging the giver, all of us are sinners. But even though we are sinners, God welcomes us in like a father welcomes a son. And that being a Christian is not so much about joylessly being obedient as much as it about delightfully serving the Lord. When we sheepishly return to God from, from a sin binge, God welcomes us in. He invites us in. Or when we're grumbling ungratefully and working in the fields, God comes out to us and he pleads with us to come in. Back to basics. Hopefully this reframes the way that you understand what God is like. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are our Father. Thank you, Lord, that we can delightfully serve you and enjoy you for this life and the life to come. Thank you that you are welcoming embracing and forgiving. Help us to live like that, responding to your character, and help us to introduce that person, that loving father, to the people we know. Amen.